there were no women in construction for the probably the first 10 years. I don't think I ever ran into a single woman in construction. And during the first 10 years, I was in the business. You know, it was, uh, people looked at me funny. Welcome to All Things Wood Floor, episode 20, brought to you by Wood Floor Business, where the best and brightest in our industry get together for you, the wood floor professional. Come see Wood Floor Business, come be Wood Floor Brilliant. This episode, retire founder, owner, president, Jeannie Smith of Accent Hardwood Floors, Durham, North Carolina. One of the very few women to spend an entire career in hardwood flooring, slinging wood, and running the big machine. Jeannie talks about how she got into the business, how she got out of the business, and a lot of what she learned along the way. She is a hoot, people, so crank up your volume. Welcome to All Things Wood Floor. A warm welcome for Jeannie Smith, Accent Hardwood Floors, Durham, North Carolina. Floor pros around the world, let's get to it! We're back. We're back. <laughs> Can you see me? <laughs> this is this is your show now, and you don't have video. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! And I don't have video still. You know what I say? We we could talk our heads off. Let's let's just talk, and I'll record everything because <laughs> they're not going to use the video anyway. <laughs> see now it's it's see what you did here now, Jeannie. This is your podcast with your zoom time now i work for kim walgren and you and they say there aren't enough awesome. women in the industry i now work for all of them awesome i'll send you a bill <laughs> that works for me oh okay listen we can roll with this Jeannie. welcome okay. to all things wood floor it is a fantastic <laughs> you know i could say we've we've met we've worked together for about two decades i got into this literally because of you and i we've talked on the phone a couple of times and now i still can't see you <laughs> well, I don't know how you got into it because of me. A lot of people have gotten into it because of me. I'm not sure that many of them have ever thanked me. <laughs> I will tell you how this happened. So I bet I was in flooring and in college I, I studied writing and then to pay for college I did flooring and decades went by and I used to do a lot of consulting and uh, writing for different magazines in New England. And I started doing some little things for Kim at Wood Floor Business and you wrote an article about black spots and somebody was driving you crazy about the black spots in the floor and the article ended and we just aren't sure what this is and i i went crazy i started looking at it and reading it and testing it and looking at it and reading it and i did a bunch of work in a little lab setting and got nothing <clears throat> and i looked down on the floor there were black spots everywhere and i couldn't figure out what i had done well we i figured out what i did i did a bunch of studies on it and now i get calls all week, every day for the last probably five or six years on black spots. Everyone thinks they have mold in their flooring. And uh, I, I, because of COVID, everything went camera and computer. That I get more calls on the I have mold in my house thing. And it's because you launched that article that said people with black spots in their floors should check it out. <laughs> Well, there you go. Kim says we're the nation's experts on uh, black floor spots. So we will. So anybody All listening to this podcast, spots. just come to me and Jeannie. We got this covered. <laughs> well, I, I just, I just remember it was like nighttime, and we had this job to finish, and we had these black spots yet again, and, and it was just crazy. 
trying to scrape them out and then put, you put universal sealant on them and that took care of most of them. You know, <laughs> well, you know what? It, it's interesting because what started it, it, this is what a lot of people that know up here they used uh, steel wool, which is fine until they started using water based finishes. And right. then this, so then we kind of put two and two together. And you talk to some of the old timers, they were doing um, uh, taking bolts and, and steel wool and soaking it in vinegar and doing ebonizing on flooring and basically burning the flooring and turning it gray. And then I started taking some of those samples from a job I had in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, under a microscope, and it wasn't organic at all. And what mold would want to live on a a freshly kiln-dried oak floor with polyurethane on it? It didn't make any sense. You you can go in the woods and find it on a rotting stump. But when I tested it, it was metal. Found out that my contractor had to do a patch in a wave and couldn't get this sander down into it. So he was scraping and rubbing and scraping and rubbing and decided to coat it with water-based finish. And I found metal shavings everywhere. Went back to your article, put the two together, and we've been chatting about it ever since. But, you know, see that? See that? You put me to work and you didn't even know it. (laughs) Jeannie, you're you're with Accent Hardwood Floors in Durham, North Carolina, correct? That's right. Well, I, I sold my business on June 30th. You did of of this year? Yes. Well, I know I had heard that you retired. That's that's a couple of things. I don't know anybody that's ever retired from flooring. So you're you're already a celebrity. Well, I, I'm keeping up my inspector certification, but uh, I sold Accent Hardwood Flooring to Matt Poole. Okay. He's doing an awesome job. Well, you and we, you and I had spoken at one point. You had mentioned, um, is it the um, new tread? Tire building, which is kind of a historic building. It used to be an SO station. I used. Can you see? I used it as my backdrop. I see that. Is that the <laughs> yes. building that you moved into? That's the building. That's my building. <laughs> it, it, wow, that that's a beautiful. I don't know when that building was built, but that's a piece of artwork right there in itself. Yeah, it's it's gone undergone a lot of changes. It doesn't quite look like that anymore. But <laughs> no, well, I, you can look. It's it's really nice when you do a historical um, Google. It shows. That and then when it was a like a car dealership or a tire store, and then it shows your shop today, and right. it's interesting. <laughs> it's beautiful. So now, when did you when did you start Accent, and how did you even get involved in this? As you know, there aren't that many women in flooring, and no, I love po- talking with them. You go first. Well, I started doing floors. Let's see, in about nineteen eighty. Right about 1980, my father was a wood flooring contractor, but I didn't grow up with him. My parents were divorced, and so I was 20 years old, living in Dallas, working for a company doing god-awful concrete work, and I thought, anything's got to be better than this. (laughs) So I called my dad, and I said, "Uh, uh, do you want to hire me? And I had never nailed a nail in my life. Uh, you know, I didn't know the difference between finished nails and common nails. And so I drove up there and I went to work for him. And I made $5 an hour to start. <laughs> After two weeks, he raised me to $6 an hour. <laughs> Was that even minimum wage in 1980? I think it might have been three seventy five. I remember those days, too. In Portsmouth, Arkansas, it was, you know, <laughs> it, it was above minimal wage. Oh, Portsmouth, Arkansas. You'd probably own your own hotel. 
Right. <laughs> but now, so back, back then, did you go to, you were, did you, I think, did you go to St. Mary's or LSU or both? I know you did some college there, too. Yeah, I did, too. I, I went to college before this. I dropped out, decided, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I worked for my father for about four years. And then I quit him, and I went back to school at LSU in Baton Rouge for two or three years. Okay. And at that time, I was supporting myself, actually doing hardwood floors, you know, on weekends and summer times. And uh, that was an, another experience. Because <laughs> <laughs> I worked for somebody else, you know, and it was, a, it was in the very early days of hardwood flooring. I'll say that. Well, and then, the people I spoke with said that you not a problem because you were not only strong, but you were hard-headed and persistent. I, I know <laughs> I, I speak to some people like Jessica Peterson. She said, boy, I could really, if I could just lift these machines, it's just that they've made them heavier and heavier and heavier, I think. Well, you know, when I first started out here, I worked all by myself, but I had a uh, Toyota van and I had a two-butch well that was about either, probably about eight foot long. And I rolled my machine out and in by putting it on a on that two butch well and backing it down, you know, to the ground. Yep. And um, then that's the way I moved it moved it back up as I rolled it up and down on that and that was a uh, you know the old um American, you know, eight super well, eight. Well the super eight, which is the that motor was alone was a hundred pounds. Right, and it's a pain in the ass to tear it down. It's not, not like the Hummels. Is that the one you had to take? A, you had to take a wrench and a socket if you had it and unbolt it yeah. if you were even going to take it apart. Yeah, those are fun. Right, so you had to. T I had to take it apart and move it upstairs. If you had a fifty well, foot cord, it weighed a hundred pounds. <laughs> All right, <laughs> but that's the way I moved my machines. <laughs> it was only two by ten. <laughs> did you have everything in there? Did you do install and sanding finishing, or did you start out just with the sanding and finishing part? When I started here in Durham, which was 1990, uh, I just sanded mostly. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I went back to work for my dad for about three and a half years after I quit school yet again. And uh, I kind of ran his business, and and I talked him into opening up a little showroom and everything. And then he and I parted ways after three and a half years because he wanted me to do things the same way that he had always done them. And, you know, I just didn't particularly like that. So it's a toss-up as to whether he fired me or I quit. <laughs> you know? Oh, you totally walked away from him. He had no say in the matter. I walked, I walked away. There you go. Uh, I looked for a place to open up a business, and I moved here in 1990. And that's where I've been ever since. When but did, it's just part of me. When did the um the the warehouse and the crews and and the location that did that come much later or is that right out of the gate? Came, it came several years later when I moved here. I didn't know anything about this area. I just kind of I researched areas in North Carolina because I had a sister that lived here, and I researched areas and looked at them and I went and I got all my stuff and and Becky and I. Moved here. We didn't, neither one of us had a job. We didn't know the area. But I worked for several people here for the first probably year and a half that, uh, that I lived here and knew my way around. And then I took out a little bitty ad and 
a tiny news newspaper that you picked up off the of stands called the Fifty Nickel, and I finally got more jobs and more jobs. And the guy I was working for finally told me, he said, "You either have to quit work and go for yourself and go to work for yourself, or you have to, or you have to work for me." So I quit working for him and went into business for myself. Hey, that and pays I, off. Did the uh, well, you know. That's what I. That's what I came here. I think a lot of people have that story. I worked uh, selling industrial equipment as a kid. I loved it, power tools, equipment. And then um, one of my customers that did flooring asked me to come work for him, and um, he was an idiot. It had nothing to do with me. After about <laughs> two days, he got mad and he threw a hammer through some lady's picture window. And I said, I can't do this. And my company said, why don't you come back and work for us? And you can buy all the equipment and start up your floor company somewhere down the road. Well, one day the president of the company came out. He just laid a bill on my desk. It like, you know, when they give you in a hotel and listed everything I owed him for phone calls. I didn't realize the phones at work were going off the hook with people hiring me to do their flooring. And he said, I, th I think it's time for you to go. I already had a company checkbook. I went out, I wrote him a check, said thank you. And they were good to me for decades after that. So I, I was yeah. very, very happy about that. You must yeah. have gone through some lean years. I can't picture being the only woman on a job site, which even today, I think 99% of my customers, it's funny, 99% of my contractor customers are guys. But all my dealers are 99% women that run the showrooms and the stores and yeah. the design centers. You must not have had it easy on job sites. We had a woman working for us for years. Way She started way, way back when we had our first location, and she called it the pee in the outhouse years. And I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. She goes, I had to walk in the back of the building across the rail to road tracks to the outhouse, which was so filthy I wouldn't even use it because that was well, the only thing we had. There were never porta potties on the job, uh -oh. you know, until way, way after I'd been in business for a long time. Oh, that's not good. You know, and so, you know, a lot of times when I first started, I worked for a number of years. I laid millions of square feet of paper faced parquet. Oh. And a lot of times there weren't, fortunately, there weren't people working. But if there were people working, if there were guys working in the, in the uh, houses, then I had to stop go to wherever to use the restroom and come back because I couldn't just be in the yard like all the guys did. Right. You know? <laughs> or on the golf course or behind a dumpster. <laughs> right, right. Especially on the golf courses, you know. Yep. <laughs> so, but, you know, it was, uh, I, I, there were no women in construction for probably the first 10 years. Huh. I don't think I ever ran into a single woman in construction and, during the first 10 years, I was in the business, you know, it was, uh, people looked at me funny. Right. <laughs> yeah. They're probably wondering why, how come she's out working those other guys? Right. I, I actually had, you know, when I worked in Arkansas, it never happened to me in North Carolina. You know, I had a couple of people that kind of really made some fairly threatening remarks to me. Oh, that's not good. No, but, you know, I was, I'm a very tough person. You know, I'll, I'll say that. It's you all know, you so little I, petite compact people that you, they're, my mother was, I think, 4'11". <laughs> my sister's, my sister's 4'11". And when I was in high school, she was 
she had a chip. She was captain of the men's soccer team. Went to college. She became a park ranger. She just retired, and she packs yeah. a gun. She's it's a man's world. When the parks I, are down, she has to repair and do remodeling. It sounds like you had that same existence. You just you just yeah, keep your I, nose I, I, did, I did ask one man, "Are you threatening me?" You know, and that shut him up. You know, I yeah. said, "Are you threatening?" You know, it was ridiculous. But you know, times changed. And once I moved here, this is a very liberal area, and things. You know, from 1990, you know, I hired my finally hired my first helper, great guy. His name's Robert Honeycutt, and he actually still works for Accent Hardwood Flooring today. He was a baby when I heard. <laughs> I, I <know> <laughs> Did you have a favorite part of the job? Some people will say, oh, I just want to install. Others say, no, I would could sand all day long, and some could flip a coin. Yeah. How about? Well, I moved to the land of pier and beam construction, you know, sure. where I was from the land of slab construction. Ugh. So um, it was – I had to learn installation as far as, you know, I – I had done some of it with my dad and he had taught me a lot about it. Well, but, um, I mean, I could wrap a 2000 square foot house in two days, easy by myself. That's but, still tough um, to do today. Well, well, we get nested bundles. Today. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's easier to do with random length. <laughs> so, remember un unnested bundle and you got to count to three. Yeah. But you know, I learned, you know, I learned and, uh, you know, sanding and finishing was, was the bread and butter. Then my dad would install and lose money on. He said, Oh, I want the sand and finish job. And I never did understand that thinking, <laughs> but. What but, did they uh, glue down paper face with then? Was it just like the cold sticker? Was it, did they, did no, you finally have not, the super mastics? No, it was a PVA. It was a water-based an awesome good, you know, and about, we used to buy truckloads of Peace Parquet, and they're still in business today. And it came a different, a lot of shapes and colors and species too. Oh, oh, yeah, all kinds. Most of ours was red oak, uh, but all kinds of different patterns. And uh, and in fact, I went to their, you know, their little mill one time, and really the intricate patterns. Women sat at tables and put together those patterns right. by hand. <laughs> Tell me yeah. how they went in. People, a lot of people don't know about paper face parquet. Tell me simply, how does it go in? How does it go in? Well, first, you make a table saw by yourself. By yourself. <laughs> yeah, you make a table get, saw get a blade. of plywood. You beat the case off of a skill saw so you can make a zero clearance. You put a, and you beat the case off it, run it up to the top of the table. It's zero clearance. You cut the cord off of it and you put a switch on it. And it weighs about maybe 30 pounds. It's very lightweight. And that's your saw that you make. And uh, <laughs> your upside down circular table saw. That's right. You just bolt it to the, bolt it to the pile. And it's a great, great table saw. I still use one to it today if I, if I had to, if I laid any parquet, which thank God I don't. You don't have to, right? <laughs> But the parquet <laughs> itself, it, there's that you have the paperback and then you have the the coarse side. Right, right. Well, it's a, it's a once you get used to it, it's a very easy job. 
Well, that was the straw that broke the camel's back because this guy that I worked for that threw the hammer through the window, someone sold him paper face parquet. I, I had never seen it. So he installed it and he called it. He was screaming at the distributor and this guy's been in the, he's one of my customers today, Wally Johnson. He's been around forever. And he said, um, this is terrible. This stuff is junk. I'm sanding and the pieces are flying everywhere. Well, you know, he did, Jeannie. He glued the, put the glue down and he put the paper down. (laughs) He invented the floating floor. The stuff was flying everywhere. And I'm like, that's it. I can't, I'm done. I'll go back to my old job. It it was insanity. So it's been 20 years. Wally Johnson came in my office a few weeks ago and he had a package for me. It was two of the paper face parquet from that exact installation because the guy returned it all. (laughs) It comes back around. Right. But, but what I did mean, you do when you were done with it? You wash it, right? Yeah, you take them, you know, we had three and a half gallon uh, buckets and you just, you put like dishwashing soap and a liquid and a sponge and you wash it once and then you wash it again and just peel it off. And then you, you sand a finish? Yeah, and then sand and finish. I mean, we made so much stuff of our own back in those days. We made putty. We made our own, you know, our putty we made. Well, you could you can buy just wood putty. We we had to make ours, you know, corn starts, then seed oil, and either stain whatever stain it was, or we bought uh, colorants from Pittsburgh paints, raw sienna, and we made our natural putties with it. Mixed it all up, made it, and made our sealers. You know, filler, we always trial-filled parquet. And believe it or not, you can use plain old white sheetrock mud to fill a floor that's going to be stained, and it takes stain just like anything else does, you know. A lot of today's wood fillers, they're basically, they're a lot like uh, sheetrock mud. It's it's sheetrock mud. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it is. And you can use it white, and if you're staining it, it just stains just like your floor Takes does. a stain even better than the the right. wood dust does. The well, the the glue down floors, the parquet floors, the H block that they had down south. It, it people talk about the south and and slab construction, but there was a time when the the mills got mothballed and plants weren't making anything, and the south brought it all back together by building huge track developments. They had the weather for it and putting parquets down, and today it's a little different when you go down to Florida or you go down south, and they some houses do have second floors, and they get that frame construction. Right, they had, you know, all the World War II houses were nine-to-nine block floor, you know. That's what we called it. Every, yeah, everybody's got a 99 block, H block. Bruce made an H block, and that's you, like yeah. you said, base housing had that all over the place. Well, you know, pre 54 too, up until then, that's all there was if you got an FHA loan because they didn't approve anything until God bless Dalton, Georgia came up with the flame retardant carpus. Almost put us all out of business. Every time something's invented, right. comes out of Dalton, Georgia, and it affects us and our paycheck, Jeannie. Well, when our when my dad first started, he didn't install the floors. The carpenters installed them, and he just sanded and finished. So, yeah, I'm sure they prefer that today. <laughs> I was reading online. I, I read everything that you write, and you you contribute a lot to um, uh, the Woodford Business Magazine. Matter of fact, I think it, you, me, and a, a bunch of others are on the editorial board. Um, right. I saw something that you had written. Did, 
did you know Donnie Bollinger? Uh, I actually applied for a job between the time I was working for my dad and the time that I came to Durham. I actually applied for a job with Don Bollinger because I went to Seattle. I thought I might move there. Okay. And by the time that he called me back, I was already working for another company and, you know, things were going fine there. And but he called me back and I said, you know, sorry, but I already took this other job. If I had probably hired on with him, I would probably have made that my career because I really respect the guy. But I really I didn't even know who he was at that point. Well, that's and, why uh, I asked you, because I, I didn't either. Be, before I started a training program years ago for WoodPro. And you had to study with me for three months, everything. And when you're done blindfolded, you had to identify seven species of wood. And some of them were sight and smell. But we didn't have YouTube or video or the NWFA manual like it is today. I found these vi like v VHS videos, Don Bollinger's you know, installation. Yeah. And if you go back, they were in his living room. And you, look, you can see his wife's feet in the background tapping like, Donnie, don't be ripping up our house again. And he did some – they were so – they were – they got very good when you started getting into them. He really knew what he was doing, and he would talk about install, sand, and finishing. And when I heard that you mentioned him, I'm like, wow, I must have taught his two videos for, for years. The guy's a pretty sharp guy. Yep. But anyhow, but I decided that uh, Seattle was way too far away from the rest of the world. Sure. So I came back down here. So. But you know, I you know, I started by myself. I built my business up just little by little. Sure. You know, I hired one guy, we worked, we worked, hired another guy, hired another guy, you know, and eventually it got to be a pretty decent sized company. Did you change roles a lot of times? Uh, that's where you wind up not having the opportunity to do as, to do as much of the work because you got so much else going on, quotes and paying yeah, the bills. Uh, yeah. Uh you know, I still did a lot of the work. Um, you know, it's hard to remember when because it just evolved over 30 years. Right. You know, over, over, over 30 years, my business evolved. And, you know, we got into more work and more work. And, you know, one time I had probably about 18, 20 guys on the field. Sure. And, um, you know, it's... It, it's hard to do any work then. You basically, what when you do your work is, I mean, when we would do commercial jobs, you know, I would go out and I would sometimes go work on those, especially when we work for deep. You know, I would go out and I would go in before the guys and get things laid out to where when the guys didn't came in, they were working and not standing around picking up with it. Sure. I came in and ran the job, and that's and that's what I did. I ran the jobs, you know, and said, you know, you, this is what we're, what we're doing. Do it. Yeah, that there's a lot of work involved there. The so did you did you have to travel like in the area that you're in in Durham? Once you landed there, you stayed there a long time, right? That's your area. Is that a college town? We have two little colleges here. One is the University of North Carolina, UNC Tar Heels. <laughs> yep. And then we have another little small university called Duke. 
Yeah. <laughs> Two little places that might wind up on your March Madness picks this year. That's my tip of right. the day for gamblers. Right. And I've, you know, I made my, I've made my living in, in Durham, where, which is where Duke is and Chapel Hill, which shows that I can get to Chapel Hill in 15 minutes from my old shop or less. Does that type of area generate flooring work? I know there must be a lot of remodeling, et cetera, but is it different than just plopping around anywhere? I know I see a lot of businesses, any type, that do very well in college communities. You know, I was looking for a college town when I when I moved here. I was very well an adult, and I was looking for a place that had a college that had a major airport, you know. So it was just right for me. You know, it was a very, it's a very liberal, progressive area. Sure. We're a sea of blue here, right where I am, <laughs> and a larger sea of red sometimes. <laughs> in, a, in a larger sea. <laughs> but it was just right for us. Hey, that, that works out fine. Was there, was there a lot of travel involved for what you did? Did like, uh, A lot of these people in our industry, they'll go to, you know, they'll go to Wisconsin or they'll go to wherever the next show is. But have you traveled a lot? Like uh, so a lot of foreign people get to Europe. They might go to the Lagler plant. They might go to wherever. Is there Was there a lot of travel involved during your career? You know, I really didn't like traveling over 30 minutes to a job. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, so let's not be going to Vegas. Yeah. I, I like the small, small area. You know, because it was just me, basically. And, you know, and later on, it was Robert Honeycutt. He's, he took over the all of the sanding and finishing crews. But, uh, you know, early on, it was just me doing all of the things. And I couldn't, I couldn't estimate everything and, and supervise the work. You know, I, I, had, I needed a small area. So that's what I did. And it worked out well for me, you know. People have all these fancy business plans and this and that, and, and I've always said, you know, my business my business plan was to bring in more money than I had to send out, and that was my basic business plan the entire time I was in business, and it worked out well for me. <laughs> so, but I'll took I will tell you this that. When it came time to hire people to do things that I needed them to do that I couldn't do, I did try to hire the best people. I hired a great accountant. You know, I hired people that that told me how what to do with my money, and uh, and I, and I made I made good business decisions. You know, I didn't look at things. I was able to look at the big business picture without much of a business plan you know i bought real estate for my Good business thing. and when i bought my first little building it was a little cardboard sign tacked up on the telephone pole and you know i worried you know could i pay the rent and i bought this business for thirty-seven thousand dollars. Hey, there you go a, a building and an empty lot behind it you can't get a set of tires for that right now Right. <laughs> you must have made some good decisions because, listen, if you're still making yeah. five bucks an hour to run an edger, Jeannie, you're going to have to move in <laughs> with us some way. <laughs> yeah, I, I made good business decisions and I hired good people that that knew what they were doing. Did you drag any yeah. family? What, you can't get Becky behind an edger? Do you get anybody in the family? Did you, you know, bring him into the business? When 
when we when I first started in Durham, Becky swept for me because yep. I didn't use a vacuum. We swept, we used a paintbrush to dust the corners <laughs> and everything. Yeah. She swept for me and she wiped stains for me. There you go. <laughs> and then she was my secretary. Well, she was, but uh then when I was 39, I decided, well, you know what? I think I'll have a kid. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, she was the secretary at the business full time. And we thought, well, you know, we didn't know anything about kids. And we thought, well, I'll just drive him around in my truck for a half a day. And then he can stay in the office for half a day. <laughs> and shortly after I had him, Becky retired and we hired a full time secretary. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but see, then what you know what happens after that? Then you start, you probably started coaching, right? And going to all sorts of other things. You know, I was a little league coach for five years. Yep. In Durham, uh, from the time my son was seven until he was 12, I was not only the first woman little league coach, I was the first lesbian woman that <laughs> women's little Look league. Look at you, coach. pioneering everything. <laughs> So that took a lot of people getting used to. You probably ra you, you rattled a lot of cages. You're out sanding them, and now you're out pitching I, them and out batting them. Way I, to go. I Good did. for you. <laughs> I did. I, coached, I actually coached our 12-year-old All-Stars. So. Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> but that isn't that a good thing about a business? I coached soccer for 35 years. I played, And yeah, I could yeah. I could go back to my high school and coach because I just had to get my crew set up a couple days a week and then go right. get on the bus. But it is rewarding. Did you do most of the coaching with your son's teams yes yeah I, I was the head coach I, I loved my coaching years Isn't you know it? it was a lot of fun you know I went straight from work to practice or games and then you know you eat, you, you eat whenever you can sure absolutely but uh you know I, I loved coaching baseball <laughs> now how old, how old is your son now he is 26 he'll be 26 on the 28th of the on, on this Friday. Going to school or running a big machine? Or he, both? Is, he is actually calling, uh, works for a little company called Deloitte. Okay. It's actually a big national, international company. He uh, he worked for me. I tried to get him into the business. I told him when he was in high school, I paid him $20 an hour to work. Oh, you'll me. get him, Jeannie. Don't worry. <laughs> they, they never escape. They'll all come he back. Does. He took Chinese. My sister's an acupuncturist, and he's always close with her. And he took Chinese in middle school and high school, and he was actually a double major in college in Chinese and business. And then he got a, a fully paid scholarship to get his master's in business. And then he, was a, he got a fellowship, the John McCain Fellowship, Sure. And he worked for the um, Defense Department for a year, and now he's working for Deloitte. And he'll—he's actually in the Pentagon working for on uh, Ukraine issues right now. Well, if he speaks so, Chinese, we're, we might need him more than a new edge by the end of the year. He speaks and writes Chinese, and actually. There have been several times because we have a big international community here, you know, with the universities and research yes. triangle park. Mm -hmm. And he actually, I was in a woman's basement one day. She, and she's a child, you know, native Chinese. And I called him and I said, 
would you please interpret for me? <laughs> so I had him on the phone and and uh, I told him and he inter- he was the, our interpreter. It's impressive, well, isn't it? It, it? it is impressive. He reads and speaks Chinese fluently. That's amazing. So. Because you speak flooring, though. I, I wrote an article once called Floor Language for Wood Floor Business because we have a we have a language. And it's when you see somebody speak a, a foreign language, um, and I just started taking Spanish because so many people in our company, and I feel like I'm missing out on something. And I watch them speak. I'm so impressed. And you see somebody that can speak Chinese, it just seems... It, amazing that they can pull that off i speak you know edger scraper <laughs> drum machine right, right. <laughs> at least we speak that language i don't think we're gonna be get, dragging our flooring people into any world peace issues but we'll get there soon enough we'll give them a floor when we're done with it there's not an institution on this planet in any government that doesn't have exquisite hardwood flooring you can ask Briglin if you don't believe me that's right <laughs> and he told me to tell you hello He's a good guy. I like Sprig. <laughs> we hit it off. We had a fun podcast. And he quit, he now he calls me. He'll be like, who are you talking to? I go, I'm talking to Jeannie Smith. He's like, oh, I got stories. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> no, you're good. He's very, very cool about that. Are, are you still um, a NOFMA inspector? Uh, well, NOFMA. Is anybody? There's, uh, I was certified by NOFMA. Uh, I'll tell you what, that's one of the man that I have the most respect for in our business is Mick Miller. And um, he uh, took me under his wing because I had a great interest in, in floors and what happens to them and what goes wrong with them. And he was the finest teacher that I ever had. Did you do that as part of your business with accent or yes. most people do it congruently because t- sometimes you can't just do, you can't just do inspections typically as a business that, that you got to kind of combine right, it to. Yeah. It was, it was a sideline for me. I was, it was something that really interested me that I love doing that. It, it, it kind of caught me. It, it just uh, was something that was just so interesting to me. Because, you know, I have a pretty scientific mind. I was a geology major for a number of years, and I've taken tons of math and in college, and it just it just really piqued my interest. And uh, I, I just like doing it. I think people yeah. find that, like, when we're, whether we, with like customers, you're talking with people from around the country, whether I'm talking to somebody in LA that has a really high-end showroom or you talk with somebody like Spriglin down in DC who's doing custom renovations of historical places or Michael Purser or people from around the country, you start to realize where where you fit in. I identified like you did. I like the science. I like the inspections. I like the writing. I knew Bill Price Sr. and worked with him, did, did some lab work and the, the nicest thing he ever said, he said, you know, you're this writer that wants to be a floor guy, and I'm a floor guy that wants to be a writer. Yeah, he was, he was a great guy. I remember, you know, I remember him at the uh, convention saying, please, wear your respirators. Yeah. yeah please wear your respirators. He, he learned and that's that a, the very hard way. Yes, he did. And oh, many of us have. <laughs> we had the, This week I had a customer bragging about oh yeah we never this that and I said honestly you you have to wear your respirator dust is a carcinogen the fumes everything even water based finishes don't kid yourself you don't want that in your lungs no and, kidding 
you know, there there were a lot of things about the flooring business that were really, to me, not quite on the up and up. Okay. You know, we were never warned properly about about the attitudes to water-based finishes. You know, in my opinion. Well, you, you know, know, you would you'd use. Um sealers and coatings that had MEK and they had, had you know, sterates, everything. And then you yeah. get in your van and you would drive up the road, open the windows, and it felt like you did a swig of booze. You could feel it in your lungs. And when they had the first catalyzed urethanes, I remember thinking they smelled fine for a while, but I can still feel it in my lungs just like the other junk. Right. Hey, Wood Floor Pros. This is Kim Walgren, the longtime editor of Wood Floor Business. If you have an amazing wood floor project that's been completed or will be completed between February 1st, 2022 and January 31st, 2023, make sure you enter it in the Wood Floor Business 2023 Design Awards. Categories include Best Residential Floor, Best Commercial Floor, Best Gymnasium Floor, Best Stairs, Best Next Generation Project, which is for a company owned by someone aged 35 or under, and Reader's Choice. Entries are free, and winners receive prizes from contest sponsors. Go to wfbmag.co backslash enter 23DA for more information. Or just go to woodfloorbusiness.com and enter Design Awards 2023 in the search box. That's it for now. Let's get back to Stephen's conversation with longtime wood floor pro Jeannie Smith. When you were doing your, your business and inspecting, and that also comes with everything from uh, doing claims and setting up jobs and helping people get on track. Everybody that we talk to, that's whether they've owned a shop or an installation company or, or whatever, you, one of the things you have got to do is collect money and get paid. You you must have some advice or some stories about that part of the job. We I, all do. I love selling. You know, selling was my thing. Yep. You know, I went in. People told them, told me what they wanted, and I told them what they needed. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's right. I want this. This is what you need. Guess I, what you I need today. I selling, you know. Was it and, difficult uh, collecting? It, some, it depends on the economy and who you're doing business with, but you have troubles. You know, yeah. Collecting is a pain in the ass. Yep. I don't care. I don't care what, how good a work you do. It doesn't matter. And I was... I was always pretty lax, even the last year that, you know, I gave my customers 30 days payment. Yep. At 30 days, I called, <laughs> you know. Right. Most of my customers played, played, paid pretty well. I never had that many problems collecting. I had some jobs where, you know, I made a mistake of going to small claims court a couple of times. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no Big one mistake. wins there, right, Jeannie? Nobody, nobody wins <laughs> that one. I had it written in my contract one time that I advised the woman against filling her floor and, and did not guarantee it. And she insisted we do it. So we did it. And then she sued me because it popped out. And the judge <laughs> told me, well, you, even though it's in your contract, you know you shouldn't do it. So, oh. but you it. <laughs> so I lost it. Yeah. Wasn't much money, but it was like an eye opener. If, if that that contract is like uh, texting, if it's more than 144 characters, you got no contract. Right. 
I never had that many problems collecting money, but you know, you have to collect. <laughs> you know, I, would, I had I had a newspaper route. It's the same thing. You got to collect. <laughs> I, I I know, right? It's crazy. Um, <laughs> so what did so you you didn't take over your father's business? You set up your no. own whole entity. I set up my whole, and the reason we picked accent in my actually. My partner and my wife now, after 43 years, we finally got married April 30th. <laughs> Congratulations. By my birthday. Way to go. Good for you. Good call. <laughs> but uh, she came up with the name Accent because, one, I had an accent. <laughs> and, two, it would be one of the first one in the yellow pages. <laughs> right. Oh, you got it. That's right. Remember then, if you could, anything with an A. We had, right. we had people would move here from any other country, and the first thing they would put an ad in would be AAA, triple A, 4A, Florida. We had, a, we had a young Korean friend of mine that he started his business. He called it Anthony's Hardwood Flooring. And I said, Fong, you can't even say Anthony. He goes, they call me first. Okay. All right. That's a smart fella right there. Well, so Beck, how long, Becky and you have been together at 28, 34, are you up to 43 Four, years? 43 years. And was she with you in the beginning when you were only getting five bucks for edging? Yep. She was. See, that's love. You stick with somebody that's making five. My wife and I have been 38 years. If she knew what I was getting paid to edge back then, she wouldn't have stuck around. Right. <laughs> That's so funny. Is there yep. so in in what you're what you're what are you doing now? I got to backpedal a little bit. Where what, what are you am doing? I doing now? Yeah, I'm, I'm retired. I'm traveling. Yeah. I'm playing pickleball. Oh, that's a <laughs> hey. You know what I'm doing? I line pickleball courts. That is Dude. part of my job, and I I don't know what it is yet, but it looks fascinating. Do you, you know? I used to when I worked for my dad, we did gyms in the summertime in these little high school gyms and. I, he taught me how to line courts, and I was there when the first three point line came out. And we bought we bought plumbing pipe pipe, and um, that's how we lined uh, the first three point lines that I ever lined. Hey, you you put those points in the pipe. right place. That's that's all you need. Uh, it it had to hit the top of the key. <laughs> That, I know I, I took um, two 14-foot pieces of Brazilian cherry one-inch feature strip, dovetailed them, bolted them together, and I drilled holes two inches apart with pencils to make my three-point arc. And I got yeah. going. It was beautiful until I hit the first row of flooring, and it broke all the lead in the pencil. Yeah. Well, we, uh, like I said, we just did it with pipe and went off of our nails from the top of the key. That, that we, made, were like, we were a little smarter than you. Make perfect. That, well, it that's one thing I still do in the summers. I'll get calls to do um, four square and pickleball and volleyball yeah. and basketball. A lot of people aren't don't know how to paint lines, or it's the math that they're a little yeah, I think intimidated by. Right, right. I love it when you set up a gymnasium and you show up and everything was there, and you when you get there, it's all been sanded, and you ask, did anybody mark these or label these? Because kind of like to know where they were before you started, and then you got to start right from the beginning. We use nails in the corners and the yeah, We used to drill every drill the corners out, and yeah. then if they hired us, we'd go back and put little little nails in there so that you could yeah. at least find them. And a lot of times, you can still see the um, lines burnished still, into the woods. Yeah. yeah. What was your when you were doing flooring? What was your absolute favorite part of the work? 
not by oh, I guess seeing it when I was finished and giving them the bill. <laughs> I, I can see that. There is a lot of satisfaction. That most foreign people will tell you that they look at their work and not, they're not overly thrilled with it because it's such a. We're not working in a vacuum chamber. It's it's difficult to yeah. get furniture quality, but. In, you must have been at that point where you're now going around and doing other jobs and saying, I think we did that one across the street. Right. Yeah. I mean, so many times, the, you know, we're a pretty small area. And I mean, you know, we I see people all the time. Hey, how you doing? You know, I have no idea who they are. But the... Uh, you know, I've done thousands and thousands of floors here. So people know me. But the uh, the strangest person that ever um, said, "Hey, I know you." We, m- my son Becky and I, were in the middle of Tanzania. It was new. It was Christmas Eve, and uh, we weren't had we were out on safari, but we had went to this nice hotel, kind of in the middle of it. And they had a buffet, and we were going through the buffet line. My son and I and said, "Hey." Are you Jeannie Smith? I said, yes. <laughs> you did my floors. I live in Chapel Hill. <laughs> and I always had the same reply to anybody that ever told me that we did their floors. I said, did we do a good job? <laughs> <laughs> do I, we're not in trouble, are we? You're not serving me papers, are you? You should have asked her for a Sharpie and given him an autograph. In the middle of Africa. <laughs> in the middle of Africa. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, that crazy kind of stuff happens, doesn't it? It does. It's a small, small world. <laughs> uh, have you have you done any particular projects that you were either super proud of or they're like, you, you know, some people have that brush with greatness. We did so-and-so's floors or anything. Well, not really, but, you know, we've done a lot of floors for Duke. We did oh, their... Nice. We did Duke Chapel, which was an, an awesome job. You know, Duke Chapel is very, it's the most historical building on Duke's campus. And they're pretty swanky university. And we we did their floors. I went to a wedding. The woman, friend of mine, she graduated from Chapel Hill. And her husband, it didn't matter where he went, because it, it didn't carry any weight with her. But when they got married, they got it in a barn. Half was all sky blue. And dark blue, and the other half was whatever his side was. <laughs> it seemed like her side had a lot more going on, but she loved that school. She wore her Tariel colors, or, and she was ready to rock. You know, I've always been just as as proud of the one room, and this has been a while ago, five hundred dollar bedroom sand and finish that looked right as the seventy thousand dollar whatever job. You know. Sure. To me, you're only as good as your last job, you know. And like I said, I, I like quality work, no matter what kind of job you gave me. I gave you a price, we did it. We did good quality, you paid me. Do you, you know? with your your well, what what's your traveling agenda? Are you trying to see um, tropical places, European places, museums? What's on your bucket list for that? Well, I like to scuba dive. Oh, good and, for you. I'm a diver. Uh, I've been couple of times since I've retired, and I like that, but I only like tropical water, so. Jeannie es snorkel a Casamel. I see, 
I learned that in my Spanish last week. <laughs> I know how to say I can snorkel in your driveway. I, that's the only thing I've learned. Yeah. I'm a certified <laughs> diver, Jeannie. I went to college in Tampa. And yeah. I, oh, I loved it. It's a whole other world, isn't it? I love the scuba dive. So, you know, and I've been to the south of France. We took my son and his four friends for 12 days. And and um, I have a 93-year-old mother still. Outstanding. So, you know, I plan on spending a little more time with her, even though we go there quite a bit. But um, I don't know. I don't want to hit Europe in the wintertime. Like I said, <laughs> I, like, I like warm weather, so... <laughs> well, yeah, you live but, in the right area. We don't have that up here. We have July I, and we have winter. I think I've only been in town for a, about a week and a half a time at a time since I retired on June 30th. So. And that's I it? Got, I got bikes. Uh, we e-bike. We e-biked all over um, the Netherlands a couple of years ago when I was still working. But... Um, I've always loved traveling, and I always have traveled. I had a guy that wanted to buy my business one time, a long time ago, when my son was like seven or eight, and it wasn't enough to retire. It was a pretty good chunk, and I thought about it, and I said, well, you know, can't really do this, but there's one thing that I would change. I would travel more. So, you know what I did? I just I just took the time off, and I started traveling. And everywhere you've traveled, come on, everywhere, and I guarantee it, you've got caught looking at a hardwood floor too long. I've been all over the world. I just <laughs> put a picture on Facebook. We were at this famous museum in south of France. I can't remember it, but the walls were offset to the square tiles on the floor. <laughs> and I put on there. This is the thing that I noticed most in right. this museum. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? My wife smacks me. Anywhere we go, she's like, is it look... My, I told you, my sister's a, a ranger out in Wyoming. She took me in the middle of the desert. I mean the desert. And we went down this off-road, dirt road, and we're traveling and traveling and traveling, and, and her husband's a miner, and he, he's also a, a cattle herder. And I don't know why we're going to this place. We get in the middle of this canyon, and she goes, come over here, come over here. And I'm really not interested. She goes, get over here. So my sister popped me one. She's, so I, I go over and I had to read. I sent it to Kim at Woodford Business Magazine. I'm reading and reading about this desert plateau. And what does it say at the bottom? This is the first known site of the very first hardwood floor in America. And they listed the people that had been shot and killed or had gunfights or spilled a beer on it. And there's a little <laughs> memorial. I'm like, and I'm such an idiot. Oh, now I'm thrilled. I'm in the middle of the desert, all geeked out because there was a hardwood floor out here 300 years ago. Who knew? <laughs> it's an occupational hazard. Well, it is. Well, I, I've taken a ton of your time, and I, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions, just a few of them, okay. and I will let you escape my clutches, and we can go off and do things. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. When you're doing flooring, what is your biggest pet peeve? When people don't look at the space and realize where the, where the natural areas are that people are going to be looking at they don't start in a place they don't start in a place which is the natural center of the floor whether it's like a whole house they start somewhere and it doesn't matter where they end up you know do you know what i'm saying oh absolutely they don't start in a fo they don't start in a focal point no, we just did a podcast about this, and it was all about spatial design. And some people, especially with with a, 
a lot of this is artistry. So you have a little bit of an idea for design and space and structure. And if you just slap a floor down, just the smallest yeah. thing can really throw your eyes off. It's uh, it's right. unsightly. It's not pretty. A crooked floor is not good. But also, where are you putting medallions and moldings and borders? No, I know exactly right. what you're talking about. Now, if you if you had not gotten into the wood floor industry, which none of us know how we got into here, where did where do you think you would have been doing? Gosh. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Probably a geologist someone. Well, we're going to talk I about went, that. We'll I talk about almost, that sometime because there's so much going on. I almost away with that. <laughs> well, there's petrified flooring. You can go in that direction. Well, yes. <laughs> is there anybody in the industry that you um, haven't met that you'd like to meet or hang out with? Haven't met. Or you just know them and you'd like to hang out with them because they're they're good floor people. Not anybody that I haven't met already. I've see? been around forever. <laughs> everybody see that because everybody says they want to you meet know, you. That's why. There's this. There's this uh, woman on She Sands on Facebook that does these videos, and I think yes. she works with her brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, meet her together. We'll get her autograph. I've seen. I think it was on Instagram and on Facebook. <laughs> she Sands. And all right, tell us the truth, and you can't lie because we basically we were coworkers. Uh, in Jeannie, in your house, you got carpet. Is there carpet in your home? Because I will ask Becky, and she will squeal There's on you. There's not a single scrap. God of bless you. Get the crap out of there. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, listen, I really, really, really appreciate you taking the time to catch up with me and, and talk. And we will do this again soon, sometime. I, I get. I'm supposed to fly out and meet all you people at some point, so I will come but say hello to you. All right. That sounds good, Steve. Thank you, Jeannie. I really appreciate it. We'll talk Thanks. again. All right. All take right. care. Right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. To read Jeannie's article about how she prioritized her family while owning and running her wood flooring business and prepared to retire early and sell her business, see the December 2022, January 2023 issue of Wood Floor Business. Don't get a copy? Make sure you sign up for your free subscription at woodfloorbusiness.com. You can also find all the digital issues at the WFB website, too. If you like this episode, please be sure you rate, review, and share this podcast. Thanks for listening.